So this is my story of from the time I was 21 until I was 31. And this was not my own idea. It was uh, Professor Peters who, I think it's his invention, that if you look at what happens to you for 10 years after you graduate from college, it's pretty telling. Um, it was telling for me. I never thought about quantifying it like that. But uh, so this this is the story. I think the 20, it's the 20s, basically. It's my was my 20s. And I can remember those much more vividly than I remember any other decade, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. 60s aren't bad, by the way. I'm in the 60s. Not that bad. The only bad thing is it leads to the 70s and, you know, but, uh, and then the 80s. But anyway, I think if you take care of yourself, that you can be, have a good decade in your 60s. It might even be, I wasn't going to, I'm getting off script, but it might be uh, my best years. I would have to say so far. Um, but uh, the 20s are not easy. The 20s are not easy. And each decade has its its problems, you know, <clears throat> that, um, that make them difficult. But the 20s, I think, are distinct. And it's because you're still searching. You're still forming as an individual in you. And you know, so you can, you've probably heard the, uh, the famous questions, uh, the three famous questions you're supposed to ask yourself, uh, am I good at it? Do I get a kick out of it? Does anyone want me to do it? Uh, well, I have to say, when I was 21, I didn't have the answers to those questions. Um, and uh, so here's a quote, too, that I want to tell you that I think kind of defines me. Uh, I just recently saw it. It's, maybe it, you've all heard it, but it was it's by the Dutch... Uh, painter Vincent van Gogh, he said, supposedly he said, um, if you hear a voice within you that says you cannot paint, then by all means paint, and then that voice will be silenced. Um, so as you may know, he was, van Gogh was not commercially successful during his life, so uh, he, not only did he wonder whether he could paint, he doubted whether anybody wanted him to do what he was doing. Um, So when I graduated from college, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And it was kind of depressing for me. I remember that. I was very down about that, uh, particularly because I'd see people around me very ambitious who seemed to know exactly what they wanted to do. I went to a very, uh, I see, competitive. I went to Pomona College, very competitive school. and um, so, as I joke, but it's really true, and it's true for me, and it's true for a lot of people, I did not know what I wanted to do, so I went to law school. That's what a lot of people do. And, uh, but lucky for me, I liked law school. I loved law school, and uh, lot, most people don't. Most people don't love law school, but I did. Uh, but then I graduated from law school, and I still didn't know what I wanted to do, so I went back to Phoenix, Arizona. I took the bar here. I took the bar in Arizona. And uh, I got a job, the first job I could get. It was through a friend who worked in a company. It was a thriving precious metals uh, trading company. They had a bank. They had a refinery. They were thriving. Uh, this was in the early 80s. And uh, so I got a job as their first in-house counsel. I learned a lot about banking, investment, securities, commodities, futures, and so on. And then after about one year, 
I go to work one day and the doors to the building are chained shut. The company, without my knowledge, I'm their lawyer, but without my knowledge, the corporation just filed for bankruptcy and, uh, and I was out of a job just like that. And then it turns out, it turned out, I found out later, the company's president uh, was doing illegal market trades. It wasn't fraud. It was, he wasn't following the regulations. And, um, and then he was indicted, convicted, sentenced to two years. And so I was lucky I didn't, I was unscathed by that because I didn't know anything. And uh, the investigators uh, wouldn't let me clear out my desk, you know, and they, and, cause they wanted to see what I knew. And it took them about five minutes to see that I didn't know. I didn't know anything, but that was a pretty low point. That was a pretty low point in my life. Um, and I was sick of Phoenix and I went back to support my dad who was going through things. And I thought, I'm, I'm coming back to San Diego. This is where I went to law school. And so I came back and I was, even though the economy wasn't great, I, I was already pegged as an in-house attorney, in-house counsel, even though I knew, didn't know that much after a year. But so I got a job with another thriving company. It was a medevac. They were the paramedics company back then. They had the contract for San Diego. They had the contract for all these cities up and down the coast. They were probably the biggest paramedics company uh, in the country or I guess the world. But then after about a year, they started losing their bids on the uh, the contracts as they came up for renewal or they, they were expiring and, and other companies were coming in and outbidding them. And uh, because after a year, their paramedics were getting raises and so their costs were going up anyway. It was, it was something they should have predicted, but... So they start laying off people. The company's going into a dive and, you know, a, a tailspin. And I, I just was, I was having lunch with my dad in Phoenix. And he said, what do you, I don't know. It was like he hit me with a stick, like a Buddhist uh, teacher. You know, he hit me with a stick and said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to teach. That's what I do. I really want to teach. He said, well, then do it. Said, okay, so I started making plans. I I applied to Georgetown. I went to Georgetown. I got my LLM uh, there, and I was in international law. And I got, uh, by the way, while I was there, I got a job as an editor-in-chief of a startup magazine that went out of business in about six months. So that was another, but that, well, I, my, I wasn't betting everything on that. But, but then I get out of law school, and I go with a great job with a think tank, an international law think tank in, in Washington, D.C., the American Society of International Law. Uh, in charge of a project uh, that was a two-year project. And then after six months, they pulled the funding. They pulled the funding from the project. So again, I'm out on the street. I think I'm some kind of a jinx. Uh, and, and on top of that, you know, I, I remember another very low point in my life. I'm getting on the bus. I remember in D.C. it's raining. And uh, I have to go home and tell my wife, who's nine months pregnant, you know, that I'm a loser, you know, I have no job. What am I going to do? We have no medical insurance. And, uh, so I, uh, I mean, the good point, the good thing was I had four months to bond with my kid who was born two weeks later. Uh, but I did find a job. I ended up finding a job, uh, with the government, with the department of justice, which is where I still am. I'm still with the department of justice. So that was almost exactly 10 years after college that I landed you know, where I ended up being for, for my whole career, my whole career. Um, 
I've been with the office of the U.S. Attorney's Office now for uh, 30 years, and I started with them when I was uh, 35. And now that I'm, you know, getting older and showing it, people stop me, you know, every day. People will ask me on the elevator, okay, so when are you going to retire? You know, what are you going to do after retirement? And, and, I was, and I, you know, if I ask those same three questions of myself, you know, am I good at it? Do I get a kick out of it? Do people, does anyone want me to do it? I still don't know. I mean, except for being a lawyer, but I don't, you know, I don't keep doing that. So I'm still, I'm, I'm at those crossroads again, but that's, that's all I have to share.